G'day sports fans and welcome back for episode 3 of the Dead Set Blocking Legends. I am the indentured halfling, Robert Last, and today I am joined by our faithful crew. We've got Johnny Wilson, Australia's most excitable tournament organiser. We've got Luke Morgan. He is just the most uh, amazing touchdown scoring threat, number one into every tournament we've seen this year so far. And we've got the plucky little man who pulled off number one in the Bushfire Tournament, James Finmore. Now, i got no idea what's going on, so I'll pass on to the legend, Johnny Wilkins. All right, welcome everyone. Thank you, and thanks, Robbie. That was an awesome intro. And this episode, episode three, we're obviously very happy to have Robbie back again. Oh, it is so good to have him back. And um, you feeling yeah. better, Rob? I feel like there's a lot of back jokes going on here, and I don't know I appreciate it. <laughs> just feels like discrimination straight off the bat. We should also say, before we get too far into it, congratulations to the man sitting next to me, Luke. And um, you had some very special news this week. I did. I did. I uh, was able to welcome into the world beautiful baby girl, Amelia. So it'll be a, few, it'll be a little while before she starts coaching. But um, I actually just said hello. What I'm doing is putting the headset on her head and just playing episodes one and two on repeat. So she's a you know a budding tactician <laughs> from this. I'm just kidding. I'm not abusing my child. Um, Please don't do that. No, I don't, <laughs> it probably put her to sleep though. Age. I don't know. Yeah, I think it would. Uh, but no, it's um, it's really exciting. Mum and Bub are doing really well. So that's congratulations. Awesome. Thanks, dudes. Great news. Great news. And. We haven't heard anything from Jim yet. Jim, do you want to just say a quick hello? Yeah, g'day, listeners. Um, thanks for tuning in to episode three. Uh, appreciate it. I'm just glad that these guys haven't kicked me off the podcast yet, so we must be doing something okay, and uh, hopefully I'll be here for episode four, but we'll see how this <laughs> one goes. I, I think we, um, we really appreciate your tactical knowledge. In this episode three, we're going to talk about a few things. So first up, we're going to talk about upcoming tournaments. James is going to introduce some of the tournaments coming up, and... Um, after that, we'll go into a review of our most recent tournament, the Charity Bushfire Tournament, which was mm. just um, a short week and a half ago. So we'll have a bit of a review on that, and that will lead really nicely into um, James's build for the Bushfire Tournament, which um, I think we'll find out fairly soon was fairly successful. We'll take a wee break after that and come back with um, Luke, who's going to do this week's huddle. And... Luke will tell you a bit more about that later, but um, we've um, we asked our fans to come up with suggestions what we could talk about in the huddle, and we did pick one of those. So um, look forward to that. That's a, it's going to be a cracker of an episode. Mm. The huddle is really quickly turning into one of our best episodes or one of our best segments, I should say. So that will be really exciting. And from then, we're going to just do a preview of a really close tournament coming up, and that's Gold Crush, and that's coming up next Saturday, the twenty third. Is it? If you're lucky enough to get tickets, yeah, the 23rd. 23rd, and yes, we'll um, talk a wee bit more about that later because as James just hinted there, it's um, it sold out really quickly. So that's really exciting. So we'll give a bit of a preview on that, and that will lead really nicely into Robbie, who's going to talk about his team build for that tournament. Oh, I hate all of our loyal fans at this point. <laughs> so, and, and Robbie will explain a wee bit later what he's talking about there, but um, um, let's just say he maybe didn't necessarily pick the team himself. No. And and finally, Robbie will just roll straight into play of the day, which we missed last episode. Mm. And it. it's clearly the most favourite. I think everyone missed Everyone's yeah. favourite segment. So no pressure, Robbie. No, mate. I, I operate under pressure. And uh, and that's that's um, <laughs> that's it for um, this episode, episode three. I think that's quite a bit to cover. And let's get straight into it with James. And he's going to tell us a wee bit more about some of the upcoming tournaments. Cheers, James. 
Thanks, Johnny. Just before jumping into recent tournaments, uh, I'd just like to congratulate two winners of other NAF tournaments throughout Australia. Mm. So Hydro Hound managed to take out the Ironman event in Adelaide, which is a massive 10-game mm. event. Massive, yeah. uh, happens over 24 hours, so it's only for the, the strongest of us. Uh, he actually won the first six games of the tournament in a row before ending on a record of 7-1-2, and two, so a really nice. good job there. And uh, yeah, Absolutely. Down. Yeah, and Mick's an awesome coach. Yeah, um, from Ballarat or Bendigo? Uh, I'm not quite sure. So. And the um, he comes down to all the Victorian tournaments, and he'll be at Gold Crush. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, good, good coach. Hopefully, you can play against him. Mm. Uh, jumping over to just another previous tournament was a Blood Bowl Sevens tournament rent in Parramatta. Uh, it was taken out by Josh Meatyard with his Skaven build. Uh, we did touch on it again last week briefly, but just another first tournament in its first iteration mm. put, mm. Out, put out by George, uh, yeah. who's, yeah, giving it a real hot go. Yeah, George's doing some great stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's, you're seeing his posts on Facebook, he's busy. Yeah, he's no, busy. He's, he's, he's doing great stuff. And, and mm. the prizes for that tournament for yeah. um, a sevens tournament that was quite new and quite had loads of prizes and, and awards and trophies and stuff, that was really good. Yeah, cool, absolutely. So, yeah, just shout out to all the TOs doing good stuff out there. Uh, moving on to upcoming tournaments, uh, the next tournament in our calendar is the Gold Crush Tournament, which we are going to talk about later. Uh, again, I think it's coming up on the 28th of February. No? 23rd. 23rd of February. Yeah, 23rd. Sorry about that, listeners. You might cut that out too. Uh, over in the WA, there is the WA Open being held in the Kildale Tavern. Uh, it's a two-day tournament, but you will have the flexibility just to play one day if your schedule is looking quite tight. Uh, so get in touch with us if you don't have tickets to that yet, but we'll put you on to the, the tournament organisers and make sure you can get down to that one. Have the WA boys got their um, their team prepped for state champs this year or is that a qualifying tournament? It's not a, I don't think it's a qualifying tournament. I think they are ready to go, but it is a fundraising tournament. So obviously yeah. flights from WA over to New Zealand, uh, a little bit more price than everyone else. So, you know, if you, if you get a chance to get down there, you're going to help your, your state out. So Awesome. Uh, I guess talking about New Zealand, what's coming up there, they actually have a small tournament being run in Silverdale out of the uh, Mighty Ape Hobby Store in in Silverdale on the 29th of February. I don't have a whole lot of details off yet, this yet. Uh, it is registered on our calendar, but I haven't seen the format posted myself. Okay. Probably the last tournament that I do want to talk about is a couple of months away, but it is one of Australia's biggest in our calendar year. So historically has more coaches than any other each year, which is the Uke Bowl. Uh, being held in Burwood in Sydney. Now, it has been moved forward a couple of months to April uh, versus its July slot, which it normally has due to the Australian Australian State Championships. Um, but, yeah, go, go if you're in Sydney or if you've got time to travel, go support this tournament and, uh, yeah, get down there. And It's probably worth mentioning that it's one of the worldwide majors. It is. Yeah, it certainly it's is. So double NAF points <coughs> if you can get down there, you know, you bump your team up and... Yeah, I've, I've been down three times, so I travelled up from Victoria, and the venue's amazing, the community's amazing. Yeah, they it really just, host you well. Absolutely. Everyone down there is a really fun time, so yeah, definitely recommend getting down there. So you've been before James? Yeah, three times. How have you, what's your highest placing? I actually, the last time I went, finished second, so I lost in the final to an all <sighs> team with uh, against Chopper, who is probably rated as one of the top three in Australia, as well as you can rate coaches anyway. So last year? Sorry? Is yeah. that last year? Last year, yeah. And you were there as well last year. I was. I finished 10th last year and I played Chopper as well. Is he, he's got the highest NAF rating in Australia at the moment, doesn't he? Hang on he? a minute. Are you, are you better than him? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Well, I've gotten this one backwards. By <laughs> a long way. 
by a long got, way. I have gotten this one backwards. Our head-to-head NAF games, I'm ahead by one win. So other than that, it's it's awfully close amongst all those good games. They, they they're my favourite. Well, well, I can see a grudge mates coming up and gore crush next. Maybe the final. See, oh, see, bring it. See you around <laughs> four. And so is that all for upcoming tournaments, James? Yeah, on, on our calendar, that's sort of what we're looking at so we can maybe move on to the next segment. Okay, thank you. And the next segment is... Um, charity bushfire tournament and we mentioned it in the last episode it was just mm. something that we just um, just came up with out of the blue when all the bushfires were um, really taken off over um, New South Wales and Victoria and South Australia as well and we just wanted to um, give a little bit back and try and get the, the Blood Bowl community um, just sort of together and contributing and look at um, the response was awesome. Massive. Really, really Massive. pleased with the response from everyone, the local community, but the, the Blood Bowl community as a whole worldwide was awesome. Yeah, Really absolutely. pleased. Yeah. Now, um, for the fans at home, who were we actually raising that money for? Like, which organisation? There was a million organisations we could have went for, but in the end, I just went for um, the Australian Red Cross. Yep. So they've got a bushfire relief fund, and... So all that money's going to them, and then they'll put it to good use, either um, providing shelter and help for people who are in trouble and, and all sorts of things. So, grass, yeah, yeah so thanks, Robert. That's, um, that's where that money's going to. There was, I guess, three main fundraising um, avenues. There was the, the turn- tournament itself, which was last Saturday. There was an online raffle, which um, was open to people to buy tickets, um, no matter where they were in the world, and you could buy that through the website. Um, that um, raffle was drawn just Saturday, just passed on the 8th. And then on the day, we also had a silent auction. So there was three ways people could contribute. The tournament itself was organised by myself, by James and by Liam. We got together and threw some ideas around. and um, Together pretty quickly in terms of Blood Bowl tournaments. It was over mm-hmm. the course of maybe a fortnight. So Yeah, and, and look, we wanted to keep it really simple as well. Um, because it was um, a last-minute thing, we didn't want to just um, spend so much time trying to organise it, prizes, trophies, all that sort of thing. So we kept it really simple, a nice simple rule set. No prizes on the day, no trophies, anything like that. We did get it NAF approved, and I must say a, a big shout-out to um, the guys at NAF and Phil Pierce from Purple Goo. He, um, he was really responsive and really supportive from the word go. Just then briefly on the rules, just so three games, and resurrection-style, Swiss matchmaking, the usual, Um we just had no tears. All teams had one thousand two hundred, one million two hundred fifty thousand um, to build. You could have two normals or a normal. Um, two normals are a double per player, um, so no stacking. You couldn't stack a double and a normal, and that was it. That was the basic rules. So it turned out one point two five was quite generous. Mm, I don't absolutely. know. Either. Well, yeah, some teams got a lot for that. Um, so. It is worth mentioning the the special charity rules. So you could re-roll one roll just like a standard re-roll. You could re-roll a weather result, re-roll a kickoff result, convert one casualty to the subs bench, convert a KO to stun, um, bring on a KO automatically after drive or bribe a referee. So you could do one of those things, but you could only use one. So if you used a re-roll in turn two, that was it burnt for the rest of the, the rest of the match. So you could then use a bribe or convert a casualty or something like that. And how many cards could an individual buy? So you've got three matches, is that three cards? Yeah. 
So you could buy a maximum of nine for the for the whole day. And that money all went to charity, which yeah. is really good. And something that did on a tactical level is obviously for that added money, which most court uh, coaches bought uh, three boxes per game, so it had the maximum nine allotted, but allowed a lot of flexibility in your roster, so which we'll find a little bit later when we go into my roster yeah. in depth a little bit, but you being able to purchase a re-roll, an APOTH or heal a KO uh, meant that you could change your roster to sort of really yep. use and abuse yep. that, so you're not necessarily needing an APOTH on your list or, or things like and that. And all of a sudden it gave you an extra 50, 60K to spend on skills. That's exactly right. Which was, so which it was sort of felt good. more like the tournament was about 1350 versus 1250, yep. um, but that added 100K was versatile depending on how you wanted to use it. Mm. Exactly, and um, the one other thing you could buy in the day was the special play cards. So you could buy up to three and then choose which match. You so we're using the new BB2016 special play guards, so I think four different decks, but... I think, again, most coach, coaches bought three three cars, just have a bit of fun, and, and adds a lot of flavour to the game, so things that you would not have seen before. Uh, yeah. So we had 21 coaches turn up on the day, so which was an awesome turnout, considering we literally dropped it on people three weeks out and said, look, can you come for a Saturday and support us? And so tw- to get 21 coaches, I was really happy with. We had 12 different teams, um, four orc teams. Orcs were really popular. And then a few teams were two of it, two goblins, two dwarves, two corn, two vampire, two chaos dwarves, and two undead. So uh, it wasn't a bad Sorry to interrupt. The, the, the presence of corn and vampires, is that because under this unique rule set they were actually decent, or was it because the coaches, do you think, were just like, I'm going to have fun here and just rage all day? I think, there was an, I think that was the main driver. I, yeah. I know a driver for one coach, uh, Jono, was getting... All the teams ticked off, and the, the last one on the list was was Corn. So we actually finished all twenty four races uh, awesome. at the charity event. So congratulations, Jono. There's your there's your badge. Nice. Well, that'll be twenty six. Uh, twenty six. Sorry, yeah. guys. Twenty six. So that's all twenty six. That's all twenty six. Awesome. In terms of top five results, so in fifth place, I mean it's worth it's worth just mentioning the actual coaches and then give them a bit of a shout out. So Tristan Thorpe came fifth with Vampires. That's on, a good effort. Great job. Yeah, on 10 points, so that was two wins <coughs> and a loss. There was a lot, I must, well, I should say, there was also, there was, I think, five, five coaches on 10 points. So really, there were, from third, fourth, fifth, all the way down, they were all on, and that's because we had three wins. Three games, yep. Or three games, it's hard to really split people. Yep. So I can't not mention Pat Courtney and Josh Clark, they were playing Orcs and Underworld. They both had 10 points, but because strength is scheduled, they they dropped out 6th and 7th. Um, in 4th place was Joel Moss with Chaos Dwarves, and I played him first up, and he's um, he's a pretty good yeah, Chaos Dwarves. I got coach. to play him play uh, in, final in, match. in the final match, absolutely. And yeah, it was really great game, absolutely. So we might hear a little bit more about that later. Yeah, so he finished on 10 points as well with two wins. Um, and Jono, who you mentioned earlier, playing his corn, um, he came third with 10 points again. And um, you played him Yeah, as I got well. to play Jono as well, so I got to play the people at the top, which is nice. And, and runner-up, so this was a nice story, um, Joel Kramer, a.k.a. Dice Roller, um, who used to be in the MBBL, is he still? Has he been I don't playing? think he's been currently playing, is he? He did say that he'd been out of the scene for a couple of years, and this was his first tournament bag, he wanted to try something a bit easier, and, and he was runner-up um, with Undead on two wins and a draw. Beautiful. So that was a really good result for him, and hopefully that's him back in the... 
the Blood Bowl community again and, and coming to tournaments and leagues again. He's got a bit of a fix. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can uh, get him addicted again. Yeah, awesome seeing coaches return. Do you remember last year, Pat had Pat Courtney had yeah. said he would retired, he was done, and he started coming back to tournament. He's such a character. It's great oh. to have him around the place. And Absolutely. he goes to every tournament. Like yeah, and it is. Yeah, no, he, he stayed he, with you. Yeah, yeah he was at my house. I said to Kate, my beautiful wife, I'm like, oh, this bloke with a mullet's coming to stay. <laughs> no, I haven't really met him. I sort of a tournament once. He's kind of, he's kind of cool. You'll be right. You'll be right. Great stuff, um, Rob. Yeah, yeah, he's a legend. Was a good night. Blood Bowl community. It's too oh, good. It was so great. good. And the winner, of course, was our very own dead set blogging legend. Of, James. of course, like mm. I was, I was going to win from the tournament before it kicked off, or of course, is it just because that we've talked about it fifty times already? <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was. I was building up to, but everyone knew. Yeah, and especially since your roster is now on Facebook and sharing it, and absolutely, and everyone's picking the bones out of that. So um, yeah. that was a great effort, James. Congratulations! Uh, it, it was three great games of Blood Bowl, so you know I was definitely excited. So thanks for again doing most of the work running the tournament, Johnny. It's yeah. Yeah, probably mostly work beforehand, but on the day, yeah, you and Liam like do a lot of the yeah. heavy lifting. Liam did a um, lot, so yep, definitely. So that's awesome, thank you. And then just before we um, head on to York Build, um, money raised. Um, Luke was asking that earlier. So on the day, on the charity re rolls and special play cards, we raised four hundred ninety bucks. So that's just from the coaches alone. Nice. Wow. Um, silent auction raised three hundred fifty five. So there was four items. Um, so I need to say thank you to. Steve Merlot, um, who donated some high elves. Tristan Thorpe, who donated the Amazons. Um, we had a pitch from John O'Delacy, a halfling pitch was one of the prizes. And there was a miscellaneous pack of miniatures from different things. And Dan Watson um, donated one of those as well. So I say thanks to those guys. So that raised 355 bucks and about mm-hmm. 250 of that were from people who were just in the store. Nice. So a couple of the, the locals who paint a lot in the corner just really liked to look at some of the miniatures, so they bid, they bid heaps, so that was great. That's awesome. That's great. So that was um, I'm Rob and, and Tay did that, so thank you to those guys. And a massive thank you, obviously, to House of War for, for hosting the tournament. Yes, thank and you, Robert. Yep. Always thanks to them. They're great guys down there. Yeah, no, they did a great effort. So they, um, they provided the venue free of charge, which was, which yeah. was really good. Wow. And so kind on, we raised... The raffle tickets online raffle a thousand one hundred bucks from that. Oh, yeah. Thank so that you. was really good. That's amazing. I'll say thanks to the prize um, donations in a second. Part of the um, two hundred bucks came from Chris Riles from Black Orc Down. So I don't know if everyone knows um, Black Orc Down. They're the ones that make the the really great trophies. You know the the wooden balls with the spikes and all on them. So, yeah. So they provided the balls for the big V and he does great stuff. So he created a ball specially. He had some spare eucalyptus and he Mm. created the ball specially, sold it on eBay and he, he got 200 bucks. Someone bought that for 200 bucks. So, and he donated that straight to us. That was awesome. Really good of him. And, um, and then just generally donations, registrations, 900 bucks. Um, so, all up, oh, I don't have the total, but roughly around about three thousand. I will be doing, um, putting that through very soon, and I'll be posting it on um, on Facebook the exact total and so on. That's Beautiful. amazing. Normal um, level good behaviour there from the Blood Bowl community. That was yeah. really good. And just before we go on to James's Orc build, because I'm really dragging this out, sorry, I've got a few more thank yous. I've got to say thank you to Robbie. Robbie um, donated the the Grable Pinking Team, which is the little penguin team. Um, thank you, Robbie. That was an awesome effort. Double-edged uh, sword. 
get used to painting white, get used to painting black. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of the online raffle prizes, and it was a really popular prize. And um, the person who won that um, was really over the moon, so thank you for that. Um, Andy Thor Spears, who in the he's an English guy who does a lot of great painting, and so he um, donated a prize where he's going to build and paint the team from scratch. So you get to choose your team. Juan from Hungry Troll, he donated um, the $85 team coupon, 85 euros, I should say, uh, plus free shipping anywhere in the world. So that's already been, that was won by a guy in Brisbane, actually, um, a guy called Emmanuel in Brisbane. So he's he ordered it straight away, Chaos Dwarf team from Hungry Troll. So that was More really good. More Chaos Dwarfs out uh, there. Oh. And <laughs> it's a nice guy. It's hard to hide him there, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's for... Um, those coaches who are a bit embarrassed to play dwarves to play chaos dwarves. Yeah, right. but we notice. Oh yeah, oh, we yeah. friggin' notice. Oh yeah, go all the way next time, mate. Hard enough. <laughs> and look, no. I, I think that's enough for the. I've um, dragged on too long for the bushfire tournament, but thanks again to everyone who supported. And um, on the day we had one winner, and he had an awesome orc team. We've had the chance to have a little bit of a glance at that, but you might tell us a wee bit more about that orc team. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, again, if you haven't seen the Orc team, it is posted to our Facebook page. You can check out the list there. Uh, so it is just 1.25 to make the team. So in terms of the positionals on the Orc team, uh, I've gone the full lot, including the Troll. Uh, so the four Black Orcs and the four Blitzers. Uh, in terms of the reason that I picked the team is that our good friend Liam actually showed me a, a pretty strong dwarf team that he, uh, he planned on playing and I couldn't find any list that would actually beat it. So I saw that and it was a nasty team. Yeah, had something like seven guard on there. So I couldn't really find any other team that would be competitive with that and I was worried about playing him. So the Orc team looked like a good choice. But he did turn around and say, oh, I'm not going to bring that dwarf team. It, well, That's he was. He, he had it packed. He ha absolutely had it packed. I want to. I want to come back to that when you've gone through your list. There's a lot to unpack with just that thought process there. So, yeah, we'll sure. come back to that in a minute. A absolutely. Uh, so, looking at the list, starting with giving the troll block. Uh, if I haven't said it on this podcast before, I'll say it again right now. Giving a big guy block is just about the best uh, skill you can add to a team. It just adds to their reliability. It makes them better at what they do. So hitting things and road blocking. It also just uh, adds to their reliability, especially early in turns, so you can be a bit more proactive using them mm -hmm. rather than waiting to the last action in, in just in fear of that double both down or, or skull both down. Can I ask you a question? Would you rather take block or remove stupid? Uh, likely block. block. Often the time, yep. if you roll... Uh, one on a really stupid roll, or uh, and he fails, and he goes stupid. It's not really the end of the world. It's not a turnover. It can affect you sometimes, but definitely not as bad as, as I was saying earlier, double double both down. Uh, so moving on to the next <coughs> positionals, the ever important Black Orcs, probably my favourite positional in all of Blood Bowl because they are just amazing. Uh, in terms of skill choices, I've gone with block on all four. Uh, Got to have that block skill. You're going to be making blocks. Uh, you're going to be taking blocks, and, and it's going to keep you on your feet. So the mix that I went with with the second skill is three guard and a mighty blow. Uh, the matchups, again, that I was worried about were dwarves, chaos dwarves, the further bash teams. Uh, so adding that extra guard in there meant that I was being the initiator when making blocks. The Mighty Blow's there to sort of maybe remove one or two guys off the line of scrimmage, but you don't really want to build a uh, you don't really want to build a game plan on removing players. You want to be build a game plan on uh, on getting touchdowns and stopping touchdowns. So that's what I think about Orcs. And um, 
that mighty blow was that good or would you have had your time again would you have given them guard as well uh i can't remember how effective it was on the day but i didn't feel like i needed any extra guard obviously i'm about to add a few more guard on the blitzes um but i i never felt like i, I needed that extra guard so having that one mighty blow there uh yeah it's definitely something oh, that i would keep on the list uh moving on to the next positional we've got the four blitzes uh, now, I've gone for a bit of versatility between my blitzes. It's something like Luke touched on in our last episode about having positionals that can do different things in different situations and, and being being able to go to that player when, when their number's called. Uh, so the first on the list is the tackle mighty blow killer. Uh, so he's getting out and he's hitting the stunties, he's hitting the elves, he's hitting the ghouls and, and trying to get players in the dugout. So he, he does his uh, does his job. But in the, in the games that I play, Dwarves, Corn. Uh, and Chaos Dwarves, he was fairly effective, um, but he wasn't the most important piece on the team. Uh, the two next players I've got are a bit of utility, so they've both got guard. One's got tackle, just for that second tackle against any of those stunty matchups or or elf matchups. Just thought it, it was worth having there, better than any other skill I could have chosen. And then uh, I've got a player who I nicknamed the bully, and he's he's got frenzy. And he's there to just make sure that when you need to move a player, you're getting them out of the way and you get room to set your cage up, And which is yeah, a lot of the offense that I was playing. Rounding out the list, we've got a Shorehands uh, Blitzer. Adding an extra Shorehands piece is it's good to have two of them, but more importantly, your ball carrier is movement six. So I couldn't recommend this highly enough. A lot of all coaches will just go to the throw or give them block uh, and carry the ball with them, but often you'll find yourself get stuck at halfway or three quarters down the pitch and you haven't quite made it to that end zone yet, that blitzer can just score from a little bit further out, which is, yeah, definitely helpful. Having the, the thrower as well with sure hands, you didn't think that was overkill then? No, no, definitely not. So a big thing with a thrower is obviously gives you <coughs> access to uh, passing skills. So taking leader meant that I could trim some fat off the, the list and use that to elsewhere. Uh, and then a second pair of sure hands that actually came in uh, use in the final. The thrower actually picked the ball up and handed it off to the sure hands blitzer to score in the last game. So having both players near the ball was yeah definitely a, a, a good strategy that I, I implemented. James touched on it last week too. When you've only got the one sure hands on the on the team and you come up against someone who's got strip ball, for example, mm. you are carrying the ball with your sure hands. With the second one, you've got options. And if it's a thrower with moving five, yeah. that can really slow you yeah, down. Absolutely. Well. absolutely. I, I know with my Skaven, if I see one <coughs> sure hands, I'm like, sweet, easy game. Get if him. I see two, I'm like, oh, bugger. I'm looking at your team sheet here. That all came to 12.40. 12.40. Uh, well, Skillless Lino on there who sat on the line oh. of scrimmage all day. Sorry if I missed him. Uh, but 12.40 and then 10K is obviously just for a fan factor, whether you're like uh, fans or coaches. Didn't really matter too much, and so you clearly didn't take a reroll. So no rerolls on the list, no apothecary, and again, that's just playing on the fact that we were able to purchase them on the day and we had access to them. So I had a, a leader reroll for for both halves, and then I had a, an extra reroll that I could use once per game, and that was generally enough. The only thing you really worried about with orcs is rolling double skulls. I mean, every player except the lino has blocks, so you're really reducing your chance of failing. Uh, really played into my offensive strategy of sticking the ball in the cage, never really getting it out, never really taking a risk with the ball carrier. And I think that's where Orcs are their best. Um, they're strong, they're sturdy, they stay on the pitch, they can move a little bit faster than uh, Dwarves, they're, they can bully themselves around with that strength force. So, yeah, in, t- in terms of game plans, there's not really much that can come up against it that you're really worried about. 
until you get a really red hot, say, Wood Elf team or a Slan team that's looking to spill the ball all the time. And then, is a troll a bit of a controversial choice on the Orc team? I think it is, depending on the TV that you're looking to spend. Uh, if it was any less, if it was twelve fifty on its own, and I had to buy some re rolls, uh, then I think maybe I would have left the troll off because realistically, you've got players that are more reliable to do the blocking, to do the blitzing. At the TV that we were, there's nothing more you want to spend that extra 100k on than adding a strength five piece with block, with mighty blow. Uh, he's, he's not too bad to manage. His movement four is not the greatest, um, but again, hopefully you're throwing some two dice blocks and some three dice blocks to make the most of him. So I want to go back to that point <clears throat> about you picked this team largely. I mean, you hadn't played Orcs before, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, that's correct. Sorry, disclaimer at the start of this uh, episode is that I hadn't played a single NAF game of Orcs before, uh, before this. I've played lots of games against Orcs, so I know what they're like, and uh, I sort of knew how I wanted to play them, but yeah, no Orcs games before this. So you've not played Orcs before. Your mate says to you, I'm playing Dwarves. You look at his list and you go, that's nasty. So you go, what, what's my best chance to combat that? It's, it's an interesting mindset about how you're picking a team going into a tournament, playing the meta. When we spoke about last week, um, one of the one of the approaches is to pick your team, build your strategy, and execute. Whereas you, instead of executing a strategy necessarily, you focused on the meta. How do you feel that went for you? Uh, well, initially I was going to play humans, uh, and the list was a little bit light. Uh, I often find that it's hard to pick a team depending on a meta, just due to the fact that you don't really know what team coaches are going to to play. Uh, to the fact that there's so many interesting teams to play. Mm. Uh, there's no real uh, draw just to play the best teams every time. Sometimes you want to try something new. Uh, sometimes you're just looking to get another uh, race ticked off your NAF list. So it's really hard to predict certain metas. Uh, again, if I look at a tournament, I'm, I'm hopefully finishing the top 10. So if I can pick out some good coaches, find what team they're playing, uh, I might be able to take an extra tackle or an extra guard and, and sort of see uh, where the mixture should be of those skills, uh, which I, I did in this tournament. I mean, I knew that there was going to be quite a few Chaos Dwarves, Dwarves, so taking as much guard as I can, I think I finished with five on the list. Uh, yeah, just allowed me to yeah initiate against other, other coaches. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, sort of trying to second guess what other... Um well, the coach is going to take because I mean, Gold Crush has got a, you know a, a tradition of, of certain certain bash teams, perhaps um, turning up to that. So does everyone then panic and take lots of guard? I know there's a you know the, there's a phrase running around that oh, when you're going to crush, you have to take three or four guard minimum, uh, unless of course you're playing something like elves. So, um, but even elves are taking one or two guard in the in the format because they can, and, and it makes a really big difference rather than maybe maybe one if you're lucky. Okay, making a note from elf <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, taking I've one or two guard. Put my my roster in today, and oh, not that much guard. Not that much guard. Oh, I think three. Yeah, yeah, but it's strength five, so you know. It's like, oh, it's like that's enough guard. to get some yeah three yeah. dice blocks. All you need, mate. That's it. So, but. Playing the meta, your matchups. What did you come up against? Uh, so round one, I got to sit down against Joel, who's uh, again uh, coming back new into the scene. Uh, so definitely appreciated uh, sitting down against him and just running through some of the basic rules that have been introduced since uh, BB twenty sixteen, which he picked up quite easily. Uh, he had a dwarf list, which 
Uh, again, was good at holding me out, but I just held position and ended up getting a, a ball spill in the first half and, and ran away with the victory 2-0 in the end. And he had a death roller. He did have a death roller. It was a little bit hard to manage for the first four or five turns, but on that sixth turn, the Dwarves are a little bit of out of position. The Troll was able to get uh, a two-dice block and actually managed to KO the under 10, so that was oh. quite nice, absolutely. <laughs> Well, you, you would feel comfortable up against Dwarves because you're quite an established Dwarf coach yourself, aren't you? Yeah, and I think uh, I was going to touch on that earlier when you were saying picking the meta and when I read against the Dwarves team. I think I've played something like 50 games as Dwarves uh, in the league setting at least. Because uh, we know this before he went. Yeah, my joined the podcast. Hey, uh, how's that troll slayer of yours going? Well, I think I lost the troll sl- slayer to you. Yeah, didn't I think wrong? he's dead. <laughs> I'm not playing the team anymore. Just... That's because you're a decent human now. Mm. No, well, I'm onto Nurgle now in the league, so maybe, oh. maybe who knows? Only one claw though. To be fair with Joel, um, yeah, he's we've hooked him in big time. So he came to the Bushfire tournament. He's joined the Little V League. Beautiful, and he's coming to Gold Crush. Absolutely. Outstanding. So um, there's another new member to the local community. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, round two, I, I came up against uh, Jono, uh, ticking off his tw- right. 26th team, the Corn. Corn so yep. in the Corn matchup there, uh, which in this game I actually received the ball. Uh, did he have the Bloodthirster? He did have the Bloodthirster, and he gave the Bloodthirster break tackle. Uh, mighty Blow? I can't quite. Uh, yeah, cool. break tackle and Mighty Blow. Absolutely. So it's one of those things you just start worrying about yep. as soon as the game starts. Because so they start with Juggernaut too, don't they? They they're certainly just, do. That, that was probably they're the key in... Sorry, Rob. I would say that they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah they, they but 180k, are. so... I, I think him having the, the, the Mighty Blow uh, on the Bloodthirst Day is what actually probably uh, helped my decision in, in receiving this game. I often kick... Uh, and it was to the full effect of the, the Orcs. We started removing players left, right and centre, but... Uh, credit to Jono, every time that I removed a player at the end of his turn, we were back even numbers again, so he was mm-hmm. hitting where he needed to. Um, managed to get uh, TD just at the end of the first half, and then at the second half he, he failed the pickup, which went into the crowd and was thrown directly in range of two Orc Blitzers. So the the kick went straight to the sideline? Straight to the sideline. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, failed, a failed pickup. The ball went in the crowd, thrown straight back to the Blitzers who picked it up, went back into a cage and... Uh, didn't leave for an entire half, so n- no real rush to move forward and score. Ended up scoring late in half, another uh, 2-0 victory, but it was a fantastic game. Jono's a really good coach. I mean, we we know that, but um, particularly recently, if you flick back through his results of 28, he had a really good year last year. So I'm not sure if anyone's aware, but there's a global Gleco ranking now on NAF, so it doesn't take in consideration a race. Uh, and amongst Australians, I'm pretty sure John is actually sitting third, so he's, cl- he's climbed the ladder in the last two years, as, as Luke was saying. Mm. And he goes to a lot of tournaments. Goes yeah, to all so the tournaments. I have heard that the clickle really helps if you play a lot of NAF matches. Yeah, yeah it certainly does. So everyone get out there and play some more so NAF games. Yeah. you got to get to tournaments, mate, absolutely. And um, and then your last match, the final, the um, top table. Yeah, the last game against uh, Joel Moss. Uh, first time I've actually got to play against him, and it was an absolute treat, so... Uh, first of all, appreciate yeah turning up and, and giving me a really good game uh, in the in the first three or four turns. I'd actually removed two dwarves and then cashed a bull centaur after he'd used his apothecary. And uh, yeah, I thought the game was going to be quite easy, uh, so I kicked to him, turned the ball over, and ended up scoring on turn six just because he didn't have many players on the pitch. 
so then on scoring on turn six might have been a, probably my biggest regret for the day. Uh, he was actually uh, managed to recover the ball and, and score on two turns with the Chaos Dwarf. So something I, I thought I could stop him uh, quickly and just get a you know a few good turns of blood ball in. I'm assuming that was the Bull Centaur. Yeah, he did a handoff to the Bull Centaur who ran deep. Uh, I couldn't quite get him and he managed a four-plus dodge out to score on his turn eight. So something that I actually struggle with is a, is a two- or three-turn touchdown. So to watch another coach do it really can take your game from just being a mediocre to top level. Sometimes if you only have two turns to score, it can force your hand and you can do something you might not normally do. Absolutely, but mm. you play a lot of wood elves or elves, Johnny, so it's, <laughs> it's probably something a bit easier for you. But not necessarily. For those well. dwarf and chaos dwarf coaches out there, it's yeah, quite tricky. Uh, in, in the second half, uh, the game turned into an absolute scrap and really I can't remember just about anything that went on because the ball was in five different players' hands. It was bouncing around. It was It was... It was a mess. Uh, started with the blitz and then ended up with me scoring on turn eight, but I'm not quite sure how I got the winner, to be honest. There was a, a handoff in there and, and some yeah really crazy ball spills. So, uh, so that sounds like six touchdowns for and one against. Yeah, that's exactly what it was for the day. So I, the, the defense was definitely solid, and I think that comes down to the Orcs just being super durable. Uh, Starts at the AV9, but realistically, because you're strength four and got guard everywhere, your opponents aren't throwing that many blocks against you. Uh, so you're not taking that many hits and they, they hang around. Question, though. Sure. It sounds as though, now this is not discrediting your ability in any way, shape or form, but it sounds like in key moments... <sighs> oh, here we was go. It, would you say that... Um, I know that your opinion is that you need to be lucky to win a tournament. Absolutely. But would you say that this was... That that was your experience this time around? Yeah. Uh, my thought would be that I was gifted a tournament win from Nuffle, uh, similar to the charity event. It was almost just given to me. Um, look, I, I think I played quite good on the day. I, I don't. I think I could have sat you down against... You always do. You always do. Certainly. I'd like to think that I could sit down against most coaches, coaches and put up a, a good show, but I really felt like the ball never left the cage. Uh, it was never exposed. Any mistakes that were made were so minuscule that I didn't risk turning the ball over and... And yeah, but other than that, as I was saying, you've got to get lucky to win a tournament. Do you think you got a good draw in terms of races, other teams you were playing? Not so much the coaches, but the so you had dwarves, um, corn, and then so there was no elves, dark elves, slan, yeah. fast teams. Yeah, that's right. I I think as orcs, the number one team you are worried about is the wood elves. Some tooled up other versions of the elves, the high elves, and pro elves can give you a bit of a nightmare. But again, I'm. Uh, something that I think the Orcs do so well is just uh, play the clock to their advantage. So they can score an eight-turn grind when they need to, but if they can force an elf team to score in two or three turns, then scoring in five or six for them is, isn't out of the question. Where do you get your modesty from? <laughs> like, you guys will hear a lot if I ever take number one in the tournament. <laughs> I don't understand this. How are you able to take number one spot and not just get a little bit just... I mean, even he's trying to talk popular with his luck comment, mate. You got to get was not a. Uh, I, I think it, throw a grenade and uh, go. Yep. I, I think what I well, I think where that comes from is I really enjoyed my three games of Blood Bowl, and I really actually genuinely felt lucky to come out on top. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think my, just the love for the game, and, and once you're so, sitting down with opponent face to face, if they can help you enjoy the next two hours and twenty five minutes of your life, 
then the credit to them, you know, and, and, and that really just brings it back to I, I feel lucky to win. I feel lucky to be part of this community, to be honest. So not only are we legends, but we're modest. Oh, no. Nice. So the last two Victorian tournaments have been won by one legend and then the second legend. We're all legends, Johnny. So Our we're coming around the legends. table. Robbie, you're due next. Goal uh, crush. Yeah, nah, mate. Not with my list, we're not. you got to carry the team here, mate. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bank on it, so to be if, honest. If Liam wins Gold Crush for the second year in the row, are we claiming it? Is he, he's yeah. Like, yeah, I'll claim it. Yeah, absolutely. Liam, yeah. Liam's got a good record at Crush. Sure, yeah. he does. He's got a good record Does anyone know what he's bringing? Uh, he played Necro last year. Are you not allowed to tell? Um, he played Necro last year. I don't know what he's playing this year, to be perfectly honest. James I know what he's playing, but I haven't asked him if he wants me to reveal it or not. So I better not. I'll keep a lid on it. Uh, we don't want anybody else playing that meta, you know. Uh, <laughs> good point. <laughs> just, and look, when we get to the... Preview of Gold Crush Lear. I don't mind telling who I'm playing because no one's no one's too scared about playing against me, to be honest. Not yet. I gotta I could decide. I gotta get my roster in. Yeah. Come on, mate. You got 24 hours. I've got yeah. mine in as well, actually. I don't have mine in. So look, I think um, that wraps up um, James's or build. Congratulations again, buddy. Yeah. Um, well done, mate. Well, well done. We'll just take a, a little break and we'll come back and we'll go straight into um, the huddle. And this yeah. um, it's a segment that they're all really looking forward to. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks, bye. Okay, welcome back to part two of episode three, and we're going to go straight into the huddle and over to Luke. Tell us what you're going to talk about, Luke. Yeah, welcome back, guys. And uh, we're going to talk about a topic that came from the Facebook page. We put out for for requests for the huddle. It is a very popular topic, and I I certainly hope I can do it justice. Uh, James has had this for the last two episodes. He's done such a good job as our resident tactician. So, but, you know, to make sure he wasn't talking for the whole episode. And also, when you win a tournament, you've... You've got to cover yeah. your list. You've got to cover your list. Yeah. Does that mean I can relax? I'm chilled out for the rest of the episode now. Yeah, yeah just not off, mate. That's fine. You're, <laughs> you're all good. But no, we're going to talk about um, a request that came from Stuart Linton. So, Stu, I hope I can call you Stu. Thank you very much for your for your request. We're going to talk about cage breaking. Now, Joel, i got to, I got to make a special mention for Joel Moss, who actually suggested that we talk about cage breaking after we cover a caging... Uh, episode, which is valid. It is a, a train of thought. However, the reason that we're doing cage breaking is we, I think defense is really important. You get your defense right, and that's what cage breaking is about. Get your defense right, and like James, how many times you get scored on the previous tournament? Just once. Just once. You get your defense right, you're going to win tournaments. So breaking a cage um, is so important to get right, so we're going to do that one. And also, we touched on the last episode with your high L's. Mm. You had that one moment... Yep. You had a chance to to break the cage, take the four plus dodge. Yep, and we'll not go too much into that because I'm sure you'll touch on on that sort of rule coming up soon. But so there is a relevance to it as well. Absolutely, and it follows on really nicely too from our last episode of the huddle where you're talking about using your blitz. You take what you learnt in the episode two, apply it to breaking a cage, and you're going to be a long way a long way ahead. In, uh, in in getting a successful break of the cage, or at least disrupting it. So, so that's Joel. Thank you for your feedback. We will probably get to caging down the track at some point. And thank you to everyone else who made suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. They're all really good. We just have to pick one per per episode. So, we'll just keep asking people, but we'll look over and try and choose the best one. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There's a couple of really good resources. The first one's an oldie but a goodie. Okay, it was released in 2009. I don't know if you guys have read this one. BBTactics.com. So. Um, they do a cage basics um, article. It's a written one, so you read through. It's really extensive, 
um, and covers you right from start to finish on caging. So that's a really good one. A couple of other ones, and I'll get through them really quickly. Let's Play Archives, if you Google that, Lesson 4, Strategy 1, Caging. Uh, another really good really good read actually touches on some of the stuff in cage breaking as well in that article, so all-inclusive. And the most recent one, well, certainly one of the more recent ones, is um, Caging in Blood Bowl by Mike Davies. Um, so that's 2016. So all relevant new rules, um, with the exception, obviously, of the, the Spike Magazine ones. Um, but yeah, really good content for you guys to brush up on caging if you need to. So I suppose for those who haven't, necessarily played a whole heap of blood bowl. Does someone want to touch quickly on what a cage is by definition? So first of all, caging is A, a legitimate strategy. Please stop complaining about it. <laughs> unless it's been done by dwarves. Essentially, <laughs> you get your fragile ball carrier and you surround him on uh, each of like, a, like an X pattern to create a five-man square protecting the ball. In order to dodge into that with an elf, even they're looking at five a plus, five, five plus. plus. And so... That will protect most ball carriers. And what a lot of people will try and do is put a guard on opposite corners so that even if you do get in, you ain't getting many dice on that ball. I would define a cage as a, a, a prohibiting any free movement, so no dice rolls required, to the player that you're protecting. Most of the time it's a ball carrier, but sometimes you can um, protect your own sack specialist or whatever the case is. But yeah, so any... Um, and that's protecting from all avenues, so all directions. So that's what would define it from screening to caging. So that's the that's the uh, definitions out of the way. Who's got? I've got five ways in which we can break a cage. I've got maybe two. They're my two preferred ones with sort of like lighter teams. Yeah. What do you got? So I like being for those who've ever played against me. I like playing like a bit of a madman because people don't expect it, <laughs> and they're used to playing a certain way of blood bowl. And if you break that pattern, they stop knowing what to do. So if you're playing against someone better than you, your only chance of winning is to make them roll dice and hope Nuffle hates them. <laughs> and so if I'm playing Skaven or if I'm playing Halflings, which are my two kind of main teams, I will um, get a little bit of sidestep and actually man up on the cage to, one, force the cage to deal with that, but also if they don't deal with that, they are leaving elements of their cage behind. And all of a sudden, you've now disrupted it over sort of two or three turns. Yep. So in my last game, I jumped in with as many gutter runners with sidestep and diving tackle as I could and said, throw dice at me, eventually one of us dies, and I don't care. And the answer was, eventually his ball carrier cried, went home, and was the saddest orc ever. Yeah. Uh, was Nuffle better than me? Sorry, was Nuffle my reason? Absolutely. Was he a better coach? I'm in gold division of the MBBL. I should not be there. So if you're versing a better coach than you, make them roll dice. Yep. I'd call that man coverage, and we'll yep. and we'll touch on that. So, yep, 100%. And then the other one is if you are uh, – think about break tackle. A lot of people uh, think about, you know, edge players cage diving, but if you've got like a minotaur or a death roller or any big boy or big girl with break tackle – by the time you've got to that poor little ball carrier, I don't care about your guard. I'm still two dying you. And any day that you're throwing two die on a ball is a good day to be alive. 100%. And I'd call that blitzing the carrier. Yeah. Like a direct blitz into the making the sack. And that yeah. use of terminology clearly shows why one of us wins tournaments <laughs> and one of us just smiles a lot. <laughs> no, down in a playbook, isn't it, Luke? Hey, I've got, I've, I do have a playbook. Do you know one day I'll, I'll publish it? <laughs> but no. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure, you if will, I, mate. If I, win, if I win enough tournaments, maybe. Yeah, that's sure. a really up myself thing to say, isn't it? Can uh, we cut that? No, 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 no we're keeping <laughs> that in, mate. Never. We're Sorry. Sure. Next year we'll raise money. We'll get it published. Three thousand dollars to the Luke charity event. No, I like it. So that's two out. So that's two of the five. Anyone else? So you can um, leap into a cage with yep. say a war dancer. Yep. And if you're playing against a vanilla team, they don't have guard in the corners. You're quite often doing a one dice block. Yep. Um, with block, look, if you can have strip ball on them as well, that's even better. Hundred percent. Even yep. even the two dice uphill with a, a war dancer oh, with say strip ball. Fair. There's not many um, result, especially if you've got a reroll. The tricky thing is obviously getting the three plus to get the leap in the first place. That's always the one that lets you down. The other the other three that I've got is attacking a corner. So not just Rob talked about man marking um, the corners of his cage, man marking other players. So attacking a corner, so putting immediate pressure uh, indirectly on the ball carrier. Well, can I just add on that one there? That's something that I think really works well early on in the halves. Yeah. All right, when coaches are trying to set up that cage, whether you're attacking the front or the back, you're knocking players down and you're keeping them in tackle zones when they're on the ground. It stops your opponent throwing blocks at you, but also prevents the mobility. So it's definitely a strategy you've got to get on top of. Oh, 100%. Um, the other two that we'll speak about is slowing the cage progress, like uh, just limiting its ability to move forward, um, which is not necessarily breaking the cage, but you're you're disrupting the cage. And we'll touch more on that in a minute. Uh, and the last one is a zone defense um, type coverage, which prohibits your ability to set up a cage without having your cage corners marked. And again, we'll we'll unpack that a little bit more. So to start with, a couple of general considerations I think are really important with dealing with a cage because it's a lot of the time it's mental. So um, most teams, every game that you're going to play, most teams are going to, they're going to cage. So having some sort of strategy in place, whatever it is, however you build your team, whatever it is, you're an agility team, strength team, using break tackle, using leap, whatever it is to deal with the cage I think that's really important to have because if you are a caging team and your opponent doesn't have something that threatens you, you're already in an advantage. And then the second general consideration is that caging is player intensive. When you are, when like Rob said, to set up a, a tight cage, that's five players. You've only got six players left that you can freely maneuver to set up the lanes for you to run through. Your opponent has 11 players to deal with those six if he ignores your cage can make it really difficult to get forward progress. And the third thing is that uh, maintaining a cage drive, a cage offense, is often really, really slow. So there's not a lot of room for error. For example, a person who is caging, they're generally looking for a 2-1 grind, a 2-0 win or a 1-0 win. If you are able to spill the ball, there's not a lot of room for recovery. Someone's offense is caging, that's slow. It's usually an eight-turn offense. So, And if they're a dwarf team and the ball gets spilled, oh, um, yeah. you know, they're so slow when they pick it up, even orcs to a degree, um, yeah, it can be a real problem for them. 100%. 100%. So there's some sort of general considerations. You know, when I'm playing elves, pro elves or wood elves, one of the things I, I do like to do is um, either try and get that cage formed so far, so deep into their own half by, you know, hopefully utilizing kick skill. Mm. And rushing all the catchers round and war dancers round, forming a line between the line of scrimmage and the cage. Separating the cage yeah. from yeah. the rest of the players. So then they either have to form a cage up deep or bring their line of scrimmage back. And that can really screw up um, a cage grind. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's slowing their progress, hey? 
That is absolutely. Well, while we're on slowing their progress, let's talk about it. Slowing their progress. So as an elf coach, I mean, someone can, can someone explain an elf screen, what, what that is? Yeah, so I do this with Skaven, so it's kind of the same. Yep. Essentially, uh, you want to you make lines of two, yep. and they're about two apart as well. And the reason for that is you cannot run through those squares without making a whole bunch of dodges through tackle zones. You Even if you blitz one of them, you still have problems to contend with, particularly against bash teams. They will not be able to break through it very easily, and they certainly won't be able to dodge through it very easily. Now they're taking multiple turns to deal with your roadblock. 100%. And you can, particularly in a resurrection tournament, you can just use your dudes like a blade of armour. doesn't matter. And um, look, elves do it slightly better than Skaven because when they mark up your elves, it just takes a two-plus to dodge them back a square. Yep. Whereas yep. The Skaven, some of the Skaven, obviously, you're not going to have the gutter runners yep. on that yeah. first row, so um, that's the tricky thing with the Skaven, I guess. Something um, in a, a term that I've referred to in the past is column defense. Yep. Uh, I think it's added, or if you can add some either sidestep or stand firm pieces, it, it really adds to that style uh, of retaining or, or, or slowing down your opponent. Something to keep in mind in that is, depending on up who you're up against, is every square of the pitch matters. So you're not setting this column defense up three or four squares back. You're you're trying to make it so when they're moving that cage forward, they one can square. only move one square. And I think they, they start to panic. They get to turn five, turn six, yep. and they're moving one square at a time, and they're like, I need to do something. That's then the slow grind, yeah. yeah. It's the best way to beat dwarves is just keep him in their back half and, mm. and just keep him out of scoring range. The only problem, it just starts to, if they get that one blitz a turn and they start to remove one player, yep. when you your column your column defence gets down to maybe six, so three columns or two or something like that, then you start to struggle because you just can't cover the whole oh, width of the pitch. You've you got to switch, you got to change tack at that point. Uh, then you're in that sort of hold the line, desperate kind of just make them roll dice. Well, ideally, what you've done is you've set up those columns in the center of the pitch, and you've forced him laterally to the sideline, and then you require less players to keep him pinned against the sideline. Yeah. That's a really good one with slowing the progress. If you can get them to the side, obviously be wary of frenzy here, but if you can pin him against the sideline, that's going to slow his cage progress, and it's just going to make life really hard to do that and do that grind down the pitch. And if he gets to half time and he hasn't scored. And he's kicking the ball to you, you know. That's, oh, that's a, you're that's a long a win. Yeah, absolutely. Because also, I mean, even if you scored in two, that's less time he's got to do the same offense. So I, I don't know. That's. I think where the column defense really shines is once you've got a TD on the board and your opponent has three or two turns to score, your setup should be something similar to a column defense, so that they're not breaking that line, they're not getting in the backfield on that turn, keeping them out of scoring range. It'll also force them out of their cage. You hear them commentators talking about the NFL, for those of you who follow it, getting the quarterback out of the pocket. Yeah. It's the same concept here. You get the get the ball carrier out of the cage because um, these columns in front, they're trying to move laterally, and then dwarves and orcs, their movement can't keep up necessarily. So it's um, slowing the cage is an indirect way, or slowing the progress is an indirect way of dealing with the cage. So what about blitzing the carrier then? So yeah, we we touched on this a little bit, yeah. So, getting to the ball carriers, making that sack, which is, it's oh, it's what you play blood ball for. It's it's what you play blood ball for. Finding the gap, yeah. Getting your way through. Getting your way through. Now, there's three ways I can think of that you can get to the ball carrier. One is leaping in. The second is dodging in, and the third one is chain pushing your way in. So, obviously, leaping is 
probably the, the most simple. Some teams actually build a strategy around it. Obviously, mm. Slant, Leaping Specialists, they know they know how to get in there. Also, your Alpha varieties. Obviously, Wardance is born with Alf, but uh, Alf catches. Uh, and, and what you might do blitzers. is you start off playing the, the column defense, and then you just bide your time until maybe turn six, turn seven, and then you go for the leap. Yep. That, ki- that killer turn, you've got to make sure you've got plays to recover the ball uh, as well as sort of not lose too much of your defense. And a re-roll. Yep, for Always. the leap. Do you Always. know, it's, it's actually interesting that you talk about that. A lot of people say, you know, for beginners, one of the best pieces of advice is get the non-dice roll things done first. Yeah. But if you're doing, I reckon the leap early, while you've still got the re-roll, is, is worth at least thinking about. The, the only thing that I would sort of, before you do the leap, before you do use any dice, make sure that you've at least uh, put a couple of players to man up the cage just in case, assume that your leap's going to fail and make sure you've got enough going there. I've seen a lot of coaches where the leap fails and then just the salt rises. Yeah. It's like, well. So you can leap in, edge four, you're doing it on a three. I think there's merit in thinking about an edge three player. It's a four plus. If you keep the re-roll, you're at 75%. It's no different to picking up the ball with a bull centaur who's got your hands. I know there's going to be coaches out there who absolutely crucify me for saying that, but if you've got the capability, also what that's going to do is force your opponent to cage in a certain way. It's going to create other opportunities for you. That threat, like frenzy, like strip ball, is going to create a, a another dilemma for your for your opponent. Just on that edge three leap, I, I've actually got this blood bowl dream, which hasn't come to fruition yet, of a wrestle leap strip ball skaven lineman. <laughs> That, they never live that long, but uh, if you've got one, it would just revolutionise the team. Uh, you could use him to get the ball and the gutter runners to recover, and I think you'd probably just go undefeated. So, hundred percent. So, that's leaping done. There's the other option is dodging into the cage. Now we touched on a an elf player doing it on a five, but then there's as Robbie touched on. There's the there's the break tackle as well. So there's a couple of skills that are going to help you get into a cage. Obviously, dodge is one. Break tackle is one. Two heads is one. Stunty to a lesser extent is one. Okay, so they're the ones. They're the. I don't think I've missed any. I think they're all the skills that'll help you with dodging into a cage. They're the good ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, when you're getting into the cage, then you need to make the sack. So that's why stunty is a, to a lesser extent. But getting into the cage is um, is is the primary bit. So. Something that I think about getting into the cage. Uh, we did touch earlier about different types of cages. Uh, so what I like to call a cloud cage or, or a not complete cage, it actually becomes a lot easier to dodge or leap into a cage when it's not as solid. All of a sudden with that elf, rather than looking for the five plus, you might be able to find yourself a four plus into a corner if they're not set up as that, uh, that five diamond. Uh, and the other thing is about the break tackle. Usually your break tackle five, six strength is coming from a big guy unless you've got like a stat up on something. And that means you are dealing with loner in most situations. Yep. And loner on a blitz attempt on a sack is a massive liability. I, I might be. So, and then there was that third. There was that third way, which is chain pushing your way in. And I think that that's a topic in itself that we could spend a lot of time on. So mm. we won't talk too much about about chain pushing. But everybody sort of thinks that once the cage is established, 
you're in trouble and that you can't necessarily get at the ball carrier. Whereas there's some key skills, which we've touched on, that can help you to get into the cage and break it up while it's established. You don't necessarily need to freak out. And that's where coming back to that first general consideration about knowing you're going to come up against the cage at some point and having the tools to deal with it is really important. I think you have to really be careful with the cage as well. But when you um, set up your cage, um, to not make sure you're in base-to-base contact because you're with one of the corners of your cage. So if you're advancing your cage forward one square, two squares, don't get all cocky and, and base yeah. your mummy up against the dwarf because the next thing he's got two or three little friends and your to, mummy's going down. To relate that back to the topic of actually breaking the cage, something to keep an eye on while you're playing defense is if your opponent does set up their cage against one of your players, that's your entry point. Yep. That's yep. where you're finding the gap. All right, so focus your, your turn and what you're trying to plan on on that action succeeding and then find the way keeping that lane clear. 100%. While you're talking about mar- marking the cage corners, it probably is a nice segue into zone defense. Now, zone defense, if anybody is a sports fan, you'll hear about it in every single sport, and it's about controlling space. It's about controlling space, and you watch really good coaches for slower teams, like watch Matt Webb play Chaos Dwarves, and his positioning when you go to kick off, it feels it doesn't feel aggressive. You feel like if you're coming up against a Matt Webb defense, you're feeling you feel good because he's got lots of players deep. But then you realize really quickly, once you're into his half of the pitch, he's got players controlling all of that space. And if you're trying to protect your ball carrier moving into his half of the pitch, it's really, really tough. So it's about if you can position your players in such a way that they um, – let's, let's use the sideline as an example, right? The column defense, pinning somebody against the sideline, you would have a square – gap and then you would have your first set of columns two squares and then your next column correct yeah right whereas zone defense would allow that movement past potentially the first point but you would have players in space behind that initial point that they couldn't that either have to knock down so that's where your defensive skills keeping your players on their feet is really important but it, it would mean that if they want to set up a cage they're going to leave a cage corner marked or they can't cage if you take that ability to cage away from somebody, like all of a sudden they've done the blitz on your gutter runner with sidestep and he's in the way now and I can't set up my cage effectively, there's your opportunity. That's when the door opens and that's when you can get at the ball carrier a little better. Absolutely. I, I think it goes as opposed to a column defense where you're restricting your opponents forward. You're almost allowing them into a dangerous part of the pitch so they can't set up correctly. Uh, it's something that as a great coaches will capitalize on. Uh, and you've just got to, as if you're if you're newer to the game, just be careful about making sure you've got room to set up that cage. So that's zone defense. In zone, it's it's hard to pull and it's hard to describe in this sort of forum too. We'd need to get some pictures up and 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 see what some of these these um, positions look like. But a zone is one of those ones that you can't just set off set up at kickoff and then it'll remain. It'll hold its integrity. You've got a position each turn, counting out the squares using your dice to mark pot points on the pitch so that you are controlling that pitch. It's all about pitch control. Anyone else want to add anything to the blitz in the cage, breaking your cage? I think the one strategy that goes further than breaking the cage, because sometimes it's too solid, is managing the clock. Now, again, it can have a whole segment on its own, and I'm sure we'll get to it in the future. Um, but sometimes just recognising when to score and when to force your opponent to score is your only way of actually negating the cage. 
And I guess the last thing is there's uh, less value in breaking a cage unless you're going to retrieve or pressure the ball afterwards, particularly if you're versing a team that can pick that thing up really easy. Definitely. So make sure you've got some spare players. Thanks, Luke. That was awesome. That was another, good. another good episode or another good segment of um, The Huddle. Keep those requests coming in. We yeah. love talking about the stuff you guys want to hear about. Um, so, yeah, just anything you want us to talk about and to chat about, um, just let us know and we'll, um, we'll cover it in the next episode. Or anything uh, you don't want us to talk about. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, like our wins at tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. So, well. talking about tournaments, then the next tournament coming up very soon, which probably will be about two or three days after this episode gets released, and that is um, Gold Crush, and that's in Ballarat on um, Sunday the 23rd. Um, we'll not go into too much detail. We'll probably talk about it a bit more in the next episode, but... Um, you know, we touched on earlier, there's 32 places that sold out really quickly. There was a waiting list for a little bit. And I think John is now starting to work out what he's going to do for next year because it's, it's growing and it's going to get bigger and bigger. So it's whether or not um, they can find more space in the, the venue. That's what hopefully we can do. Well, I guess um, you guys, I asked, I well, somebody on this team <laughs> didn't get mentioned last episode, fellas. Uh <laughs> Won the, the Victorian Stunty Masters, and so this year, in his infinite arrogance, just threw it to the people to choose his Gold Crush team, and the people chose Ogres, <laughs> except for one person who tried to convince everyone that I should take Dwarves. Thank you guys for choosing Ogres. Um, I hate them, and the only way that I could... I've been putting it off... You also chose a team that you didn't have miniatures for. I don't. So this is this guy comes from um, Apocalypse Miniatures, and they created a Kickstarter with these beautiful, hand-sculpted, disgusting plague demons. So uh, Nurgle's big boys... Kind of looks uh, like you, Rob. Yeah, hey, this is, this is surgical weight. Thanks. So I want to put a little nipple ring there to match mine. Now, this guy here, he For is those people my... listening in the podcast, he hasn't shown us that. No. No. We'll, we'll cut the nipple out, all right? We'll make sure, <laughs> no, make sure nobody sees that no, nipple. There was no nipple. This guy, this guy just here, um, as, part of it, as part of the Gold Crush, you're allowed to have a hero. And you, and you get a number of points to spend. You have to spend at least five on the hero. And it essentially just gives you skills in a fairly easy way. So I loaded this bad boy up with um, Break Tackle, Sure Hands, Block, and I got rid of his Negatrate. And I think that that last part will be a bit controversial because um, I got rid of his Negatrate so that I could stall until turn eight without having to worry about a 1 in 32 GFI-esque bonehead tripwire. <coughs> so he's going to be your ball carrier. He is. I tried to get Scrapper Sawhead in because I love movement seven and I love mobility and I do play stunties. But I then realised I hadn't gotten any organic re rolls and I desperately needed 140k. So at 150k, he got he got the ass. Um, <coughs> in terms of uh, how I think I'm going to go, I'm more worried about getting these guys painted within a week. <sighs> Namely, I'm actually setting myself the challenge of painting these guys in two days. So we'll see if that happens. <laughs> um, so you brought one of those. Do you have a? Are they all the same? Or uh, so same I've got three of these in an ogre list um, with five ogres. So I've also got this fen-looking treeman-esque thing that sometimes plays as a treeman, sometimes gets to be a plague ogre. He'll get a few extra coats of paint, and I'm looking for an extra beast of Nurgle from the Blood Bowl community. So if anyone listening has got, I'm going to hit out a few people. But I need a loaner miniature. Preferably someone who's going to the Gold Crush. 
Look, I haven't even got a lift to the Gold Crusher. <laughs> so looking around this table, how we do it? If you, you want to drive you along, I'll drive you there, mate. I'll yeah, talk right. to you about it later. And that's my Ogus. The rest of it's a mystery surprise that we'll put up on our socials so you guys can uh, meta against me. And um, I'm going to be taking Pro Elves and I'm going for the speed build. So I'm four catchers and um, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone takes Spash teams and then I can hopefully run around them. That's nice. the idea. Nice. And um, everyone else is going, aren't they? Uh, I'm going. I can't, I can't decide on a list. I cannot. I don't know. I'm... So torn. At the time of recording, we've got 24 hours left to put our, our list in. I know. I haven't got mine in yet. Um, I've got more or less chosen. I've, I've got some thoughts on that. I think uh, Luke knows exactly what he's taking, but no. he's uh, keeping a hat on it, keeping a lid on it. And doesn't, you've got your team in already, but you're not telling us. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm taking Ur- Nurgle. Absolutely. They're going to be Claw and Mighty Blow. and. That's why I went and I'm his goddamn beast. It's going to be a, yeah, I, I saw. He doesn't um, have a beast. That's he, what he says. He is a minotaur. I've seen it. It's atrocious. Mate, it's a get, beautiful scarf. Don't get, get me some, wrong. He can get some green stuff out and make <laughs> that thing look more ugly for me. That'd be great. Coming in clutch. I've seen a chaos build. It's all claws and guards throughout. I, I think there's going to be a lot of claw and guard and mighty blow in this tournament. It's going to be pretty. I, I think we see hell. that not year after year, but it's definitely a common trend that we are seeing. Just to give those listeners at home who haven't been good teams in the meta, often Necro, Kemri. Uh, there's been some other teams with a bit of success. It uh, is different this year, though. It's slightly more TV to build your team than last year. So it might, might just shift the meta, maybe. Good luck, everyone. Um, hopefully one of mm. us brings it home. Yeah. Um, I can't see it being me. Well, it's not me, guys. So uh, we're, I think we're relying on either James or Luke again to um, bring it home for the, the dead set. Looking legends. Hope so. And um, so. we better than just look. We missed this last episode. Oh yeah, oh, he started already. Go for it, Rob. Oh, I haven't started yet. No, that's just me just getting excited. <laughs> this is play of the day, folks. All right, guys. This one is coming in from Michael Colston. He is from uh, the Little V. He's a really good Wood Elf coach. What he lacks in talent, he makes up for in luck, and we love him all the more. <laughs> Uh, I say that because I'm full of salt from this match. I made a bit of a saying to myself that I would not use any of my own games. But this guy just completely spanked me, and I've got to give credit where credit's due. So, bit of context before we get started. We have got the Disgusting Wood Elves. Stuff them. And we have got the Almighty Dinotopians, and they are heading for their surefire win, and I am already getting all kinds of happiness. (laughs) but we'll see. <laughs> Alrighty then, ladies and gentlemen, g'day sports fans! I wish I could tell you that we've got a game on, but this is simply a slaughterhouse on the pitch. The elves are stroking their egos and are getting smashed. They need a mid-strength beer and a nap, but that's simply not coming. This here is the pain train, and it is stopping at all station. Malik is leading this charge, he is taking no prisoners, and he is sick of tackle on skinks. This really, this war dancer really needs to pull out all stops, get their fingers out and dig deep. This is completely unacceptable blood bowl behaviour. There is only three left on the pitch, but it seems like war dancer Nyor is clearly punching drunk. Oh, he is making a leap attempt, but no, it has not got the skills to pay the bills. He hits the dirt <laughs> and nothing can keep this underdog down. 
He's got back up. He doesn't know when to stop. This is just an embarrassment. This isn't Nuffles loving. Oh! And this wannabe Freddo Frog has done it. Against all odds, he has sacked that stink like a useless apprentice on a work site. The clumsy Saurus are all looking around. They're trying to get all hands and all mans, but they just can't keep this Billy Elliot wannabe down. He's free and the ball flies. There's only one off left on the pitch. He's got nothing. This guy looks like Sanders' little helper needed an extra arm and he's filling in but he's got the ball by Nuffle he's gunning for it and we all know what happens when he's gunning for it this GFI tripwire's gonna oh he's gone over this could be huge no he's managed to turn this face plant into a diving touchdown taking the burning woods into a 2-1 victory over the Dinotopias it looks like Thorslev is apoplectic he's having a bad day he looks like he's got the dice down he's screaming at the boys and we've got to give it up for coach Michael Colston. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get in on this action, as you've seen today, we've got live footage taken from the game in the way of illustrations by the legendary Charlie Last. Now, if you want to immortalise your own exploits, you need to sign in and get us your play of the day. That'll come with between three and six hand-painted panels of your glory. Get them in, boys and girls. I want to see them. That's awesome. That Thank you, so Robert. And, good. and did he have one wood elf left? Um, look, he had one. He had one war dancer stunned. One war dancer on the ground with everything surrounding it, like it was a. You know what? It was surrounded. Won't say that. <laughs> now, Does yeah. anyone reckon Rob's uh, microphone's a bit low? Should we turn that up a little bit? Get, get that a little bit louder? You think? <laughs> yeah, deal. With it. And he had one just like tiny little lino that like. It might have even had the loner skill. Like, it was just nobody. And I had a full squad. And we were, like, just all around the ball, ready to make hell, charging in an unstoppable 2-1 grind victory. Feeling pretty good about myself. He jumps up, goes for a big dodgy leap play and falls flat on his ass, and I laugh. <laughs> and then, the next turn, I'm sort of just like, I'm a foul, this little thing. I get sent off, argue the call with the ref. Ref goes... Yeah, no, nah, mate, get lost. I say, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> this little thing jumps up, dodges through like a million tackle tackle zones, jumps at the ball with a two-die uphill, fails, re-rolls, got it, and I'm like, oh, well, can I pick it up in like three tackle zones, six. Yeah, but you've already used your leap, so good luck, dodge, dodge. And now, next turn, I'm like all hands on him. Let's go, dice, 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 dice. He doesn't care. Next turn, leap, dodge. Chucks the ball, gets to that end zone. I'm sprinting after him thinking, let's go, go, go. And he's just like, I'll dodge you till the cows come home. Screw you. And I'm like, oh. And then he GFIs at the end and I'm like, yes. And he goes, the last re-roll. Boom. And I just go. I can put the full dice sequence up here. He was kind enough to gloat in our post-match with the exact sequence. Um, and it was just an amazing play by Michael Coulson. And that, that's why he's the... Coach. Two seasons in a row, he's the overall champion in the little V. Yeah, genuinely, uh, Michael, if you're listening, mate, between you and your son, you've got some decent blood ball blood there. Maybe you should uh, come over to the MBBL and play a real yeah. challenge, mate. Oh! <laughs> uh, is it? Are See they, gold division. Are they coming to Gold Crush? They were there last know. year. So maybe um, if they are, maybe we'll draw up against them and see how that goes. There we go. All it's right. a different uh, game league, though. It is. And every draw that a coach like me gets in uh, gold, gold division of the NBBL, it's like a halfling draw. It's a goddamn win. It's a soft win. 
And um, look, Robbie, that was amazing as always. Thank you very much. We we missed it, and it's great to have you back. And saying nothing against Liam, Liam was awesome, and he mm. and guarantee Liam will be back again. Um, always in the very near future. Key personalities would love to see on the show. Oh yes, and they know who they are. And so, look, why don't we all say goodbye? Because I think that's us for this episode. Oh, I think it is, guys. So, um, look, I'm going to say goodbye. My name's Johnny, and thank you for listening. And, yeah, cheers. Bye. Yeah, thanks, team. It's It's been great to be back with you for episode three. Looking forward for the next one, and uh, keep those requests coming in. Uh, this is James. Uh, next time I'll see you, I'll be the Gold Crush champion. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear all about that in my list then, oh, I guess. How funny will it be if it's Robbie with his ogres? Mate, um, I'm back on deck. Back's better, I'm better. Let's get this blood bowl going. Like always, guys, we've been the Dead Set Blocking Legends. You've been Dead Set Awesome. Thanks for tuning in.